Hello there, I'm Pastor John. Thank you for joining us today. There are a lot of ways to engage here at Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene, but we truly do thank you for listening here. If you haven't heard, we're also on Spotify now with the same great content. For more information about our church, you can check us out on the web at abeaconofhope.org. That's abeaconofhope.org. Please be sure to follow us on Facebook. We're live each Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. And you can find us on Instagram as well. Well, hey, church. Good to be with you today. I'm Pastor Adrian. If I haven't gotten to meet you uh, before, glad to be with you. And I want to tell you uh, about a really exciting thing coming up in the life of our church. If you came in today, on your seat was a little card and said something about uh, the best week ever. I want to tell you a little bit about what that is and why you as a church should be really excited for what we're calling the best week ever. Uh, I began praying last summer as I uh, became the lead pastor here at HFCN, and one of the things I began praying about is, Lord, help us as a church to learn what it is to be on mission in our world. And we believe that mission involves a lot of things. Mission uh, involves going, and we want to be a church that goes uh, wherever the Lord sends us. But often, mission involves being obedient right here where we live. And so I just began praying, Lord, what would it look like for us as a church to spend one entire week on mission in our community? What could happen in us, through us, in our community, through just one week? Now, I pray it's all week, all the weeks, every week, all the time, but what would happen if we just took one week out of the 52 of the year and said, we're going to focus this week on just serving our community, blessing our community, making a difference in our community? What could happen through this church if that were to, and so the conversations began, and with Pastor Sam's leadership, who helps oversee mission here at our church, we began to plant the idea of an entire week carved out of our summer called Best Week Ever. Best Week Ever really is the opportunity for us as a church to be on mission here in our community. It will happen through a number of different ways. If you pull out this card for a minute and look over the details, there'll be about a dozen different ways that week that we'll be out blessing the community. We'll be doing um, all kinds of remodel, and some of you that love construction, we'll be doing that. We'll be ministering to the homeless. We'll be feeding those. We'll be providing medical needs, uh, automotive, all kinds of different things that we can do, no matter what your gifts, no matter what your skill set. If you have a lot of energy, if you have very little energy, if you can do stuff during the day, if you can do stuff during the evenings, Every single one of you will want to be a part of the best week ever. And here's the best thing about it for me is as we were planning it, I was like, well, we already have uh, Vacation Bible School, VBS. That's a week where we minister to over 100 children here. And so what I didn't want to do is create another week on the calendar with busyness. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do it all the same week. <laughs> the same week. I know some of you are laughing. That's the stupidest idea, Pastor. Right, right. No, no, no. This is the vision I want you to have. I want you to see. We already that week... We'll have over 100 children every night coming in here to our church, being ministered to but by volunteers and leaders. We're already going to be ministering and serving our children. What would it look like now for the rest of us to be on mission that week in our community? So this is what I'm going to ask you to do today. You have this card in front of you. And first of all, I want you to save the date. Some of you already have your vacation plans made. That's awesome. But if you don't yet, man, you're going to want to be here to be a part of the best. That's a week you won't want to miss. You're going to want to see what God does in us and through us that week, uh, but by his work, by his power within us. But also, I would just ask you to begin praying now what part 
will you have? This is not the kind of week where you want to sit back and watch others do. No, no, no. This is something that every single one of us, even if you can only do a little, we want you to be a part. We want everyone to be a part. And so I'm going to ask you to take this card out. You might be sitting on it if you didn't move it when you sat down. And prayerfully consider, would you share your name and information in a couple areas of interest that you may have? And you're saying, wait, 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 it's February. This is July. What is the urgency? Well, we already have people committing to lead teams. We already have groups uh, of people committing to make this happen. And we need uh, kind of a groundswell of support so that we can make sure that this happens. And so maybe you want to get in now and say, yeah, I want to be a part of this. I don't even know how much I can be a part, but I don't want to miss being a part of this. We would ask you today to simply fill this card out, and as you leave today, drop it by the table in the lobby. You can stop by, and they'll provide a lot more details than I have, but you may have questions. Also, in your worship guide today, there's a QR code. You can go online and register today. Um, There's an upcoming informational meeting you'll see on the next slide, March 7th. So those of us that really want to be a part of this, those of us that really want to make sure that this happens... Those of us that are really drawn to this idea, we want to invite you on March the 7th to come be a part and just to hear more. And I promise you, this is going to be one of the most incredible weeks we've ever experienced in the life of our church. I don't know about you, but that week, I'm going to be really proud to be a part of this church because to see all that God uses us to do and you want to be a part of it. So you're invited to be a part. If you would, fill this out, drop it by the table, go online, uh, fill in the information so that you can be a part of helping us plan an incredible week, the best week ever. This is not the last time you'll hear us talk about this, but be excited. July 28th through August 4th, you will want to be a part. Would you bow your heads now as we prepare uh, to continue in the message and in God's word? Let's pray over this idea. Let's pray over this idea of what God wants us to do in our community and ask him to help us this morning open our hearts, open our eyes. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be on mission. We talked a couple weeks ago about the church alive, and what we said was the church alive is a church of obedience, and our obedience results in action, our hope for other people. And so, Lord, this week, the best week ever, is really about us as a church saying, yeah, this is what we're about. We're about making our community different. We're about going into places in our community that need hope, And we are about not just the pastor doing that, not just the staff, not just, no, 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 that we all are invited to be a part of that. And so I pray in advance for this week, Lord, that it would be an incredible opportunity for us to engage with the gospel. I pray some of us in this room would be compelled, we'd be moved to be a part of this, that we would not want to miss out on being a part of this incredible opportunity. And now this morning, Lord, we're going to open your word. We're going to continue Uh, in worship we want to be changed by you by your word by your promises we don't want to leave here the same and so we would invite your presence to be so real in our hearts and in our lives this morning in jesus name we pray amen amen uh one of the most famous uh, passages of scripture one of the most famous prayers in all of scripture is found in matthew chapter six you you don't have to turn there because you likely know it (laughs) Whether this morning you might be uh, churched, you might have been a, a part of the church your whole life, and that's awesome. You may not know anything about, but you, you likely maybe at some point have heard something called the Lord's Prayer. It is simply and profoundly an opportunity that Jesus took to teach his disciples how to pray. And so for that reason, it's important. 
Because Jesus is teaching us how to pray. Jesus, who was with the Father in heaven, came down on earth is saying, this is how you should pray, and it's a beautiful thing. But right there, in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, which many of us could recite, my kids at an early age have learned it, many of us could say that right here in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus makes this statement. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us, Lord, as we have forgiven others. And then if you were to miss that, again, this beautiful example of what Jesus teaches us to pray at the very end of the Lord's Prayer, as soon as, like period, next sentence, verse 14, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will will not forgive you your sins. Jesus is teaching them how to pray. He's saying, this is how you pray. As soon as he's done teaching them, he says, oh, by the way, oh, by the way, if you don't forgive, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. This series that we've been in called uh, The Unfriending, it's The Unfriending. It's clear to me uh, over these last couple weeks that we've been focusing on relationships. And really the title of this series, The Unfriending, is about the relationship killers. What are the things in our hearts, what are the things in our lives that if we let them creep in, they will destroy our relationships. They will destroy every meaningful relationship around us. And one thing that's been clear to me over these last couple weeks is that we need this. We need this. I mean, it's not fun. It's not always easy. But one of the feedback, the response that I've been hearing from many of you is, man, I needed that today. Oh, man, that was painful. But I'm so glad you thank you for sharing that. Thanks for taking time because, man, I needed that. Not so much like that person over there needed it. No, 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 people being honest and saying, yeah, I needed that. And so many of us in the room today have just admitted through this series on relationships like, man, I needed that. I needed that. And today, we're really going to close our series. We began uh, two weeks ago talking about kind of the root, the root of where relationships for us get off course, the root of where uh, relationship killers really begins, and it's this idea of pride, pride. Pride is the worship of self, the focus of self, that everything that we do kind of revolves around me, me, what's in it for me, what, and that, the root of that will steal, kill, and destroy every relationship you have. Last week we talked about that pride often, often one of the ways that is expressed most in our relationships is through this idea of control, control. And last week I used a very visible illustration, right, to talk about that Jesus Jesus emptied himself. That's what Jesus had the most control. He had the big remote control in his hand, right? He was at the right hand of the Father, and he was sitting there, and he had the control, but he chose to empty himself. And many of times, our model in our relationships is not to empty ourselves, it's to control, it's to grab on more, grab on tighter, hold on more dearly, try to control however we can, straining, struggling, and it's an exhausting way to live. And Jesus' model for us was not of control, but of surrender. And today, we want to focus on this idea of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. That if you, uh, if you want to obey the call of Jesus in your life, Jesus said what it means to love others is to lay your life down. The opposite of that would be pride. The opposite of that would be control. The opposite of that would be unforgiveness. 
And Jesus makes it clear in the midst of the Lord's Prayer, He makes it undeniably clear for us that if you and I are determined not to forgive someone, then we are deliberately asking God not to forgive us. Think about that. If we are determined, if we have drawn the line in the sand and say, I will not forgive, then what we've said to God is, then you don't need to forgive me. That's what Jesus taught us in the middle of one of the most famous prayers ever prayed. In the middle of a prayer that we teach children from a young age, the Lord's Prayer, what we've really said when we choose not to forgive is we don't expect God to forgive us. Our forgiveness of others and God's forgiveness of us are undeniably connected. You can't deny it. And so today it would be disobedient for me as your pastor to not spend a few minutes talking about this idea of unforgiveness. We've said all of this really to get to our main passage today. It's in Ephesians chapter 4. If you would turn there with me in your copy of Scripture. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, whether you have it there in front of you or on your Bible, on your screen there in front of you. Uh, Last week we talked about Paul. Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He never met Jesus personally, but Jesus revealed himself. He appeared supernaturally to Saul, who was persecuting Christians. He became Paul, and Paul became one of the greatest missionaries the world has ever seen. And last week in Philippians, we read a a book, a letter from Paul while in prison to the church in Philippi. And today, we're reading another letter by the same author, also again in prison. Some scholars have argued it's the same prison sentence as earlier, but either way, we know that Paul is in chains writing to another church, the church at Ephesus, sharing words as a pastor, his heart for them. He can't be with them physically, but as he's there in chains, he wants them to know this, and it's all about relationships. Remember last week we talked about instruction manuals, that this word, this truth has so much to say to us about our relationships. And so Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to read Quite a few verses of Scripture here because I think the context is really important. It might be a lot to digest today. I would highly recommend you take some time in Ephesians 4 this week. It's really practical stuff for us. Uh, But we're going to start in verse 20 of Ephesians chapter 4. You can follow along on the screen behind me if you don't have it there in front of you. This is the Word of God for us. Paul's talking. He's writing here, and he's writing about the world around them which is living for self. And he begins in verse 20 by saying this, that, however, that is not the way of life you learned. Verse 21, when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Christ Jesus, you were taught with regard to the former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God and true righteousness and holiness. If we pause there, what Paul is saying is, you've been called to put off the old self. The old self. Remember that? That idea of pride. That idea of control. That's how you used to be. No, no, no. You've been called by God to put off. You can't be in Christ and continue in that way of life. That's not who you are anymore. Put off that old way of self. And he continues on in verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on you while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work 
doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving, just as in Christ God forgave you. I want us to step back and just have a bird's eye view of what's happening here and what Paul's saying. He's saying a lot of things. He's speaking about this old self that we've put off. That, that was the old way. That was the old way of loving others. The old way of caring for because it was about us and it was about pride and control. And Paul really, uh, if we're looking at it just briefly, he gives five examples, five practical ways where sin creeps in. Oh, and it creeps into our relationships, but it creeps into every area. I want you to look at, just with me for a minute at this idea of lying. Verse 25, lying. Paul says that can't be a part of your life anymore. That was the old self. Next, he talks about the idea of anger in verse 26 and 27, that we cannot have that. That can't have a foothold in our heart. Oh man, we might become angry, but we can't in our anger sin. That anger cannot have its root in us anymore. Next, he'll talk about stealing in verse 28. In verse 29, this idea of corrupt speech, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. All of these are things that Paul's giving just very practical examples to the church and saying, we have to remove this stuff. This can't be a part of us anymore. But then, the last one, and really our focus for today, is in verse 30 to 32, where Paul reminds us that we must get rid of all bitterness. Bitterness. He lists specific examples of what bitterness looks like. Oh, it looks like rage, and anger, and brawling, and slander, and evil forms of malice. This is all rooted in this idea of bitterness. And Paul says, man, that is the old self. That can't have its place anymore in the body of Christ. And this morning, I want you to think about this idea of bitterness because bitterness really does three things. First of all, it grieves the Holy Spirit. We see that here in Ephesians uh, where Paul says, do not grieve the Spirit because God's Spirit in the life of the believer, if you so desire, you say, Holy Spirit, come live in me. And if the Spirit is living in us, then we can't have things of the old self living in us. And so when we allow bitterness to still have its root in us, then it grieves the Spirit of God that lives in us. His very Spirit that lives in us is grieved. Why? Because we've given His presence, residence in us, but now we've given residence to bitterness, to a bitter root in our hearts, and it grieves the Holy Spirit. But more than that, bitterness grieves the Son. It grieves Jesus. Why? Because Jesus stood in our place. He took on our sin. He took the punishment. Why? So we don't have to live lives of bitterness. So that bitterness doesn't need to take its root in our hearts. And so when we allow bitterness to come in and have its root and to grow, then we grieve Jesus who paid the price for us. And ultimately, we grieve the Father. Our Father who forgave us, who by the way, we're reminded time and time again that we're to forgive others as He's forgiven us. So when we allow bitterness to come and take root in our heart, we grieve God. We grieve our Heavenly Father who has already offered forgiveness to us. And what we've said is, you have forgiven me, but I refuse to forgive someone else. And it grieves the heart 
of the Father. Bitterness. Bitterness. But really, this is a cycle. This is what bitterness does in us. It's a vicious cycle because bitterness is more than disappointment. It's more than anger. Really, it's anger that isn't resolved. It isn't surrendered. It isn't yielded. And so it's when you are hurt and that hurt begins to fester and it begins to grow and it begins to plant roots deep within you. It's not a, a momentary like, ooh, that hurts. No, no, no. It's dwelling upon it and allowing that to take roots. To, its tentacles grab hold of every part within you and it puts down roots and then that's what becomes bitter. And this is the cycle. This is what I want you to see, that bitterness produces unforgiveness. Bitterness, because when I've been hurt, and when I choose to dwell on the hurt, when I choose to allow that hurt to fester, when I choose those roots to grow in deep in my heart, what I soon do is then I don't want to offer forgiveness to someone else. Why? Because I'm bitter. I'm hurt. I'm focused on that. And, and then the crazy thing about this cycle of bitterness is bitterness leads to unforgiveness, but then unforgiveness leads to more bitterness. And it's a vicious cycle in our hearts. Because we're bitter, because we've been hurt, now we don't want to forgive. And every time that we choose not to forgive, bitterness only grows deeper within us. When we hurt someone, or someone hurts us rather, and we choose not to forgive them, that's when bitterness grows and our hearts become hard and callous. Rather than having hearts that are tender, rather than having hearts that are open to receive, our hearts become calloused and hard, and why that produces a cycle of unforgiveness. Bitterness produces unforgiveness. Unforgiveness produces bitterness, and the cycle continues. But Paul reminds us in Ephesians 4 that we have to get rid of all bitterness. Why? Because really, verse 32, it says, be kind, be compassionate, forgive each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, this should sound really, really familiar to us. This should sound really familiar because it's not the only time in the gospel that these words, that this command is given that we are to forgive. But it should sound really familiar to us because this should sound a lot like the prayer that Jesus prayed. This should sound a lot like in the Lord's Prayer when Jesus says, "Forgive us, our, God, forgive us as we forgive others. And then at the end when he says, oh, by the way, if you're not going to forgive others, then God cannot forgive you. The crazy thing is, and something that we forget, is Paul has never read the Gospel of Matthew. I know some of us, we just think, well, if he turned four pages that way, he could have said that. No, no, no. He didn't know that. The Gospels, the Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, were written at the same time or later than Paul writes this letter to the church at Ephesus. And so Paul is not simply going back and saying, let's see what Jesus said about forgiveness. No, no, no. These are things that are being revealed by the Spirit of God to Paul, which are in agreement, in unity, to the same things that Jesus said to his believers while he was here on the earth. This is important stuff. And this is critical for us, this idea of forgiveness and not letting bitterness have a root in our heart. What does it look like for us in relationships for unforgiveness? What does it look like for this relationship killer of unforgiveness rooted in bitterness, right? What does that mean for it to take hold, to have root in our relationships? Well, there's a few symptoms, a few symptoms that I believe unforgiveness looks like in our relationships. First, unforgiveness in relationships means that you play the tape of a detailed memory of how they wronged you. Time and time again, you replay it, what they did to you, 
how it hurt, what they said. Time and time again, you play it over and over again in your mind. Second, you become angry or bitter in the relationship and you just feel justified in that. You're like, you're angry and you're bitter and you feel like you're justified in that anger. Oh, I know what Paul said about get rid of anger, get rid of bitter. No, 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 but I'm justified because of what they did to me and that's it's unforgiveness in our relationships. What about this? You apologize, but you only do it as a device to coerce them into apologizing. We've never done that before, right? No one in here has ever done that. Like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But you really just want them to apologize. Unforgiveness. You hold grudges. You hold grudges. You keep a list. Can I tell you that in 1 Corinthians 13, when it says love keeps no record of wrong, it's talking about forgiveness. That we can't in our relationships keep a record of wrong and claim to have hearts free from bitterness. How is it then, if we keep a record of wrong in our relationships, how is it that we can come to our Father and say, God, forgive me. Don't keep a record of wrong for me, but I'm going to keep a record of wrong for those around me. Lord, help us. Beyond this, beyond just the symptoms of unforgiveness in our relationships, let's talk for a minute about what forgiveness is not. Because there might be just as many misconceptions about what forgiveness is not, what it is. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's not an emotional, bubbly, I feel happy, I feel warm inside. That's not what forgiveness is. Some of us choosing to offer forgiveness will never feel those feelings toward that. It's okay, that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not pretending you were not hurt. It's not la, 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 that didn't happen, I'm good, I'm good. No, that's not, that's not forgiveness. That's not what we're talking about. Forgiveness is not condoning what the person did. It's not saying it was okay. It's not saying that you're all right that it happened. That's not it. Forgiveness is not instantly trusting the person again. That takes time. That might be a lifetime journey for some of us, and that's okay. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not relieving the person of the responsibility. It's not that they have consequences because of what they did, and you're not relieving them. You're just simply saying, I'm offering forgiveness. Finally, forgiveness is not optional. Forgiveness is not extra credit. Forgiveness is not, if I get there one day, I will do that. Forgiveness. It's a command. Forgive each other, Jesus said. It's not optional. It's painful. It's difficult. It's messy. It's hard. It's scary, but it is not optional for those of us who claim to know Christ. I've been wrestling this week on why, why forgive. Many of the things that I've said to you today, many of us in this room already knew that. Some of you in here have, have known Jesus for a long time, and you know Jesus says to forgive, and you still don't do it. Why is that? Why is this such a, a relationship killer in our lives? If we know what Jesus says about it, man, surely... The church would be a model of forgiveness. Surely in our relationships, there wouldn't be any hint of bitterness and unforgiveness yet. Today, I know that's just not the case. So why should we forgive? Well, the first is Jesus commands it. Jesus says it. And if Jesus commands us to do it, not optional, not if, not maybe you should, Jesus says you must forgive. That should hold some weight for us. 
That should matter to us. That should compel us. That should keep us when we're on the edge and we see forgiveness over there and it looks really scary and it looks really uncertain because Jesus said, man, we got to do it. Then it should compel us to say, I'm going to take a step of faith here. The second reason, we've already said it, the second reason that we should forgive is it's the only way we can experience God's forgiveness. Some of us, we pray, oh, Lord, forgive me for the things I'm so sorry, Lord, for the... but we haven't forgiven those around us. How, how can God honor that? How can he forgive us when we haven't forgiven others? But I think there's a third reason. Because for some of us, those first two reasons still aren't compelling enough. Oh, I know Jesus says it. I know that it's the only way that God will forgive me, but I still can't forgive. I want to pause for a minute and recognize there's pain in your bitterness. There's pain in your, your line that you've drawn. There's reasons why you've said, I can't forgive. I understand that. I'm not trying to make light of your pain today. I'm not trying to pretend like this is easy. But it's my responsibility, it's my obligation today from the Word of God to tell you these three things. First is it's a command, and second is because our forgiveness from God is tied to how we forgive others. But the third reason that we must forgive is because I believe it can set you free. It can set you free. Forgiveness can set you free. And some of us showed up today, man, we are in bondage. We have chains around us. We have a weight around us that we can't even explain. It is a burden and a heaviness that is too heavy to carry anymore. And today, through the power of God, you can be free. As I've prayed about this idea of forgiveness and what it looks like, all that it's not, but then what it is, I have some mental pictures that come into my mind. The first is someone trying to run, and they're trying to run, and they're running, but they can't, they're just not going anywhere. They're just running in place. Not even like a treadmill, because that's somewhat productive, I guess. But it's just somebody running, and they're not going anywhere. That's what unforgiveness looks like to me. That, that we... We're trying to move on, we're trying, but because of bitterness, because of things holding us back, because of the grudges that we're holding against other people, it's actually really holding us back. We think by not forgiving, we're hurting that person. Oh, I'm not going to forgive them. They're going to have, but really, oh, it's just hurting us. And it, we're just running in place. Another image, another, as I've just been praying, thinking, I thought of a beautiful sports car, which I know nothing about, by the way. Nothing. Where to put the gas. Is it four-cylinder, six-cylinder? Yeah, it's got four wheels. Uh, I don't know anything about cars. I don't. But I picture, I picture a beautiful sports car. Whatever one you want to picture, man, picture it, right? And I picture this car, and it's all shined up, and it's all ready, and it's ready to go, but you can't get it out of neutral. It's just sitting there, accomplishing nothing, unable to move, unable to go, unable to, oh, I'd love to hear, I'd love to see it. Go. No, yeah, it doesn't do anything. It just stays in neutral all the time. That's what unforgiveness does in our lives, that we were created beautifully, fearfully made. God has an incredible plan for your life, but you are stuck in neutral because you can't forgive. You can't move forward. You can't take a step. You can't do the thing that God has called you because you're just, you're stuck in neutral. And I have one more visual. Last night as I was praying, I feel like the Lord showed me this. And it's the picture of a mirror, a mirror. Oftentimes when we talk about relationships and we talk about the ways people have hurt us, when we talk about relationships, we want to talk about them in terms of this. 
that, I'm sorry you have to look at yourself, but you know, like, this is what we want to do. When I talk about my relationships and the people I've hurt me, I want to do this. I want to focus on them. How could they hurt me? Look at what they did to me. Look at how they wronged me. Shame on you. Like, that's what we do oftentimes when we talk about relationships and our hurt is we want to focus out there on what the person did. And we think that this idea of forgiveness is tied to that, that it's giving them approval or it's letting them off the hook. Or it's like, and so many times when we talk about relationships and we talk about forgiveness, we, we focus this way. I can't believe they did that. They had the audacity to. I can't, re and that's what we do. We project out here. But I believe, I believe the power of forgiveness in our lives changes the focus. Instead of the focus being out here, we turn and we say, forgiveness is really about this. It's really about this. I can't control out here. I can't control why they did that. I can't give approval to, but, but I can choose. I can choose in my life not to be a prisoner. And so what we do is we turn the focus because when the focus is out here, we don't take the time to realize what unforgiveness, what bitterness is doing to us. We just, we focus on them and what they did to us and how this is, and, oh, and I hope that they know, I hope they know I didn't send them a Christmas card this year and I hope that hurts their heart. All the things that we do out there. And when really, what Jesus wants us to do is turn the focus on us. Look at what unforgiveness is doing to you. Look at the ways that you're being held back. I know, I know. You, and the reality is, we can't change that. I can't undo that. I can't, I have control over this. And the power of forgiveness is moving from this to this. The power of forgiveness is giving permission not to have to focus so much out here, but suddenly looking here and saying, wow, I don't want to be chained to bitterness anymore. I don't want to be stuck in neutral anymore. I don't want to be held back from the future that God has for me anymore. And so, with courage, we look in the mirror and say, wow, Lord, i got to forgive. I don't want to be held back anymore. This morning, I'm going to ask you to just stand to your feet, if you would. The band's coming. We're going to respond this morning to what... God is saying to us and in us. But I have a powerful truth for us today. If there's one thing that you can know today, if there's one thing that I want you to take from this place today, it's these words up on the screen. This is powerful for us. And this, for some of us, could transform our lives in our relationships. And it's this, that forgiveness may not change others, but it always changes me. Forgiveness may not change others. Oh, what they did to me, how they hurt me. I, man, and I'm, I, your pain in my heart this morning. I'm so sorry for what's been done to you. I'm so sorry for the ways that you've been hurt. But forgiveness may not change that. But I promise you, forgiveness always changes me. It always frees me. It always allows me to not be stuck in place anymore, but to move forward that person out there may never, they may never apologize. They may never, and I'm, that's out of my control, but I'm choosing today to focus instead and saying, Lord, help me forgive. Help me to take a step. Help me to have the courage. This could transform your relationships. When we stop making the focus out here and we just in faith 
we look in the mirror for just a minute and say, God, would you help me to do what I need to do to make it right? This morning, we're going to pray, and we're going to worship, and we're going to, but I, I prayed all series long for this moment and this week because I just felt like for some of us in the room today, pride and control will keep us from doing what we need to do right now, and that's offer forgiveness. You see how these are so intertangled. You see how they, but I promise you today, if you're not willing to step out, man, then your relationships are going to suffer. You can't experience the freedom that God has for you. So today, I just felt really compelled to offer you just a, a bold step. Now, we don't do this all the time, but today I just felt, I felt led to offer you an opportunity to just respond, like boldly respond, because you might be here today and you might recognize, man, that the roots of bitterness, the roots of unforgiveness are deep in my heart today, and I cannot leave here today without doing something about it. And so today, I don't want to just talk about it. I want to do it. And so I'm going to ask you right now to just bow your heads and close your eyes. And I believe today that there are real walls built up around us today because of our hurt. There is real pain built up around us because of disappointment. And, how pe- and I, man, I grieve for you in that. But what I pray today, what I pray today, that the power of the Holy Spirit would have permission in your life to tear down those walls. That you would have the courage to step out and say, I can't control them, but I can control my response. I don't want to live enslaved to bitterness anymore. And if that's you, I want to tell you what I'm going to invite you to do this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. And as I am praying, and as I am singing, we have a group of pastors and leaders in the back of the room today. And the whole reason they're here right now is because they want to pray with you. If this is what you need today, you need to pray about forgiveness. Not even forgiveness from God because we can't ask forgiveness from God if we haven't forgiven others. Today, you know in your heart that you need to offer forgiveness to someone and it's hard and it's painful, but the beautiful thing is you don't have to do it alone. And so as we pray in just a minute and as we sing, you just slip out the row and walk to the back of the room and there's somebody there. They don't have to know your story. They don't have to know your junk, but they just want to in faith pray alongside you to let you know you are not alone and today you can take a courageous step of faith in offering forgiveness it may not change them but it will always change you today the opportunity is yours jesus jesus right now through the power of your word through the power of your name you want to set people free in this room today you don't want them to be enslaved anymore to bitterness You don't want them to be enslaved anymore through their fear of the past and their brokenness. All of that, God, is so painful. But today, in faith, you are inviting us to take a step. Oh, man, this is courageous. Oh, man, this takes some guts. But today, Lord, if we can do it, oh, we could be set free. We could be set free. We don't have to run in place. We don't have to be stuck in neutral. We don't have to be so focused on everyone else and miss what it is that you want to do in our heart. And so today, right now, I pray for courage in this room that we would step out and be obedient. We love you, Lord. And as we worship and as we sing, Lord, help us, help us to have the courage to step out and offer forgiveness. We're going to pray. 
We're going to sing. Some of us might want to kneel, but I'm, gonna, I'm praying right now for you, church. I'm praying right now, those of you in the sound of my voice, that you would have the courage, if that's you, to step out and go. go walk to the back. Find someone today and say, I, this, this ends today. The line is drawn. I cannot do this anymore today. I must offer forgiveness. If that's you today, would you have the courage right now to go? Would you have the courage right now to step out, step out of your comfort zone? This is hard. This is painful. But for some of us, this is the permission that we needed for our life to move forward, to take the step that God wanted us to do. As we sing, as we pray, if that's you, would you have the courage? Take somebody with you. You don't have to go alone, but would you go now? Somebody wants to pray with you that you would receive the forgiveness, that you would offer forgiveness so that you could receive God's forgiveness today in your life. Would you have the courage now to go as we sing? Thanks again for listening here today. If you enjoyed it and want to engage more, you can subscribe to this podcast through our website, abeaconofhope.org. That's abeaconofhope.org. Or if you're a Spotify user like me, you can search for us there and subscribe directly there as well. If you happen to be anywhere in the Shenandoah Valley, here in Virginia. We'd love for you to join us at 1871 Boyers Road, Rockingham, Virginia. We meet each Sunday morning at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and then again at 11.45 a.m. in Spanish. Celebrate Recovery also meets here each and every Monday night at 6 p.m. Thanks again, and we look forward to meeting you soon.